Welcome to The Third Rail Entrepreneur, a podcast about enrichment. Enrichment of your mind, your relationships, your body, and ultimately your business via the entrepreneurial path. My name is Alistair MacDonald. Let's get started. Entrepreneurship is about bringing value to the world and being compensated for it. The attributes of the entrepreneur are really those of high achievers in any domain. And in our next conversation, I'm going to share with you what I think the most critical attributes are. But one of them is perhaps one of the most powerful, and it's the one that I want to talk to you about today. And to do it, we're going to use a story, a story that is so compelling for me that it's one that I insist is read and understood by every employee that ever works for me. In 1898, William McKinley was the president of the United States, and the the country was emerging from this post-Civil War and post-1870 Depression period. Things were starting to boom. The manufacturing industries around the United States were doing incredibly well and fundamentally changing the nature of American business. Several cottage industries emerged as well, and one of them was the industry of pamphlets, essentially small fold-out newsletters that were printed in small batches and sold at tobacco shops and local grocery stores or street corners. And some of their authors and writers and publishers became very prominent. They talk about politics of the day, geopolitical issues, and some were pure scandal rags like the National Enquirer, I'm sure, or People magazine. But one of the most prominent of these pamphlets or newsletters was called The Philistine, and it was created by a man named Albert Hubbard. Hubbard went on to become known for a number of other writings, but this particular piece in The Philistine was his most widely published and well-received, reaching apparently as many as 40 million reprints by the time the First World War broke out. So this message is a powerful one. And though in it, and I'm going to read it to you in just a moment, Hubbard makes a lot of claims and airs some of his frustrations. Now, I don't really want to slide down some confused conversation with you about gender or socialism or capitalism or what have you. And I say that because Hubbard slips into that, talks about the imbecility of the average man and kind of rails against laziness. He also talks about socialism and, of course, only uses the one gender apparently that he was capable of writing to and about men. But if you can, for a moment, suspend all of those things as they are suspended in time and history, And give me a little more of your time and attention. I want to break away and read this story to you. The story is about what was going on in the United States in 1898 as the country was headed inevitably toward war in what became the Spanish-American War. President McKinley was having a hard time mustering any sort of support outside of mainland USA. And in calling his generals together, now this is as the story goes. And as with some of the greatest stories, there are elements of truth or confusion or perhaps hyperbole and exaggeration. But just like the gender issues or his talk about socialism, I don't want that to detract from the central theme here, the extractable value, the actionable insight. 
So McKinley called together his generals, who informed him that there was an insurgent operation that was rising in Cuba. And they knew very little about it, but they knew that these insurgents were trying to fight for their own sovereignty. Now, it's not without irony that the United States ended up using Cuba just 67 years later, or 64 years later, for one of the most dangerous moments in the Cold War and perhaps in world history. But these insurgents were fighting for sovereignty, independence, freedom from Spanish rule. And as I say, little was known about them. McKinley and his generals knew nothing about their number, what sort of weapons they had, their communication networks, their capabilities and resources. All that was known was that this ragtag bunch of insurgents in the San Maestra mountains of Cuba was that they were run by a man named Garcia. In order for McKinley and his generals to leapfrog ahead of the Spaniards in this inevitable and pending war, they needed to reach out to these insurgents, to communicate with them and let them know, we are good for you, we want to ally with you. We will send you supplies. We'll open up lines of communication, resources, support, and so forth. So in this conversation, as the legend goes, McKinley said we need to get word to this guy, Garcia. The general of his army at the time, I believe it was a Major Adams, said, essentially, I know a man. I know a man named Rowan who can get a message to Garcia. Rowan was summoned to the general's quarters at the White House and given in a oilskin cloth bag this message and the entirety of his instructions, seated as he was in this general's office in D.C., was to get to Cuba, which he traveled to by open boat, hike through the mountains and the jungle and find Garcia and get a message to him. What Rowan did next changed the course of the war and fundamentally shifted the balance of power with the Spanish monarchy and global grip that they had on countries around the world. Rowan asked nothing of the general. He knew nothing other than that this man existed and he was somewhere in the mountains of Cuba. Now, the whole premise of our conversation today is that of Hubbard's point about initiative, self-reliance, and the ability to do the hard work. Let's go to the actual text. A message to Garcia, Albert Hubbard, 1899. In all this Cuban business, there is one man stands out on the horizon of my memory like Mars at perihelion. When war broke out between Spain and the United States, it was very necessary to communicate quickly with the leader of the insurgents, Garcia. Garcia was somewhere in the mountain vastness of Cuba. No one knew where. No mail or telegraph could reach him. The president must secure his cooperation and quickly. What to do? Someone said to the president, There's a fellow by the name of Rowan. He'll find Garcia for you, if anybody can. Rowan was sent for and given a letter to be delivered to Garcia. How the fellow by the name of Rowan took the letter, sealed it up in an oilskin pouch, strapped it over his heart, in four days landed by night off the coast of Cuba from an open boat, disappeared into the jungle, and in three weeks came out on the other side of the island, having traversed a hostile country on foot, and having delivered his letter to Garcia, are things I have no special desire now to tell in detail. 
The point I wish to make is this. McKinley gave Rowan a letter to be delivered to Garcia. Rowan took the letter and did not ask, Where is he at? By the Eternal! There is a man whose form should be cast in deathless bronze and the statue placed in every college in the land. It is not book learning young men need, nor instruction about this or that, but a stiffening of the vertebrae, which will cause them to be loyal to a trust, to act promptly, concentrate their energies, do the thing, carry a message to Garcia. General Garcia is dead now, but there are other Garcias. No man who has endeavored to carry out an enterprise where many hands were needed, but has been well-nigh appalled at times by the imbecility of the average man, the inability or unwillingness to concentrate on a thing and do it. Slipshod assistance, foolish inattention, dowdy indifference, and half-hearted work seems the rule. And no man succeeds unless by hook or crook or threat he forces or bribes other men to assist him or mayhap. God, in his goodness, performs a miracle and sends him an angel of light for an assistant. You, reader, put this matter to a test. You're sitting now in your office. Six clerks are within your call. Summon anyone and make this request. Please look in the encyclopedia and make a brief memorandum for me concerning the life of Correggio. Will the clerk quietly say, Yes, sir, and go and do the task? On your life, he will not. He will look at you out of a fishy eye and ask one or more of the following questions. Who was he? Which encyclopedia? Where is the encyclopedia? Was I hired for that? Don't you mean Bismarck? What's the matter with Charlie doing it? Is he dead? Is there any hurry? Shan't I bring you the book and let you look it up yourself? What do you want to know for? And I will lay you ten to one that after you have answered the questions and explained how to find the information and why you want it, the clerk will go off and get one of the other clerks to help him find Garcia and then come back and tell you there is no such man. Of course, I may lose my bet, but according to the law of average, I will not. Now, if you are wise, you will not bother to explain to your assistant that Correggio is indexed under the C's, not in the K's, but you will smile sweetly and say, never mind, and go look it up for yourself. And this incapacity for independent action, this moral stupidity, this infirmity of the will, this unwillingness to cheerfully catch hold and lift are the things that put pure socialism so far into the future. If men will not act for themselves, what will they do when the benefit of their effort is for all? A first mate with knotted club seems necessary, and the dread of getting the bouncer Saturday night holds many a worker in his place. Advertise for a stenographer, and nine times out of ten, who apply can neither spell nor punctuate, and do not think it necessary to do so. Can such a one write a letter to Garcia? You see that bookkeeper, said the foreman to me in a large factory. Yes, what about him? Well, he's a fine accountant, but if I'd send him to town on an errand, he might accomplish the errand all right, and on the other hand, might stop at four saloons on the way, and when he got to Main Street, would forget what he had been sent for. Can such a man be entrusted to carry a message to Garcia? We've recently been hearing much maudlin sympathy expressed for the downtrodden denizens of the sweatshop, 
and the homeless wanderer searching for honest employment. And with it all, often, go many hard words for the men in power. Nothing is said about the employer who grows old before his time in a vain attempt to get frowsy ne'er-do-wells to do intelligent work, and his long patient striving with, quote, help that does nothing but loaf when his back is turned. In every store and factory there is a constant weeding-out process going on, the employers constantly sending away help that have shown their incapacity to further the interests of the business and the others are being taken on. No matter how good times are, the sorting continues. Only if times are hard and work is scarce, the sorting is done finer. But out and forever out, the incompetent and unworthy go. It is the survival of the fittest. Self-interest prompts every employer to keep those best, best, who can carry a message to Garcia. I know one man of really brilliant parts who has not the ability to manage a business of his own and yet who is absolutely worthless to anyone else because he carries with him constantly the insane suspicion that his employer is oppressing or intending to oppress him. He cannot give orders and he will not receive them. Should a message be given him to take to Garcia, his answer would probably be, take it yourself. Tonight this man walks the streets looking for work the wind whistling through his threadbare coat. No one who knows him dare employ him, for he is a regular firebrand of discontent. He is impervious to reason, and the only thing that can impress him is the toe of a thick-soled number nine boot. Of course, I know that one so morally deformed is no less to be pitied than a physical cripple. But in your pitying, let us drop a tear, too, for the men who are striving to carry on a great enterprise, whose working hours are not limited by the whistle and whose hair is fast turning white through the struggle to hold the line in dowdy indifference, slipshod imbecility, and the heartless ingratitude which, but for their enterprise, would be both hungry and homeless. Have I put the matter too strongly? Possibly I have. But when all the world has gone a-slumming, I wish to speak a word of sympathy for the man who succeeds, the man who, against great odds, has directed the efforts of others, and, having succeeded, finds there's nothing in it, nothing but bare board and clothes. I have carried a dinner pail and worked for a day's wages, and I have also been an employer of labor, and I know there is something to be said on both sides. There is no excellence, per se, in poverty. Rags are no recommendation, and all employers are not rapacious and high-handed any more than all men, poor men, are virtuous. My heart goes out to the man who does his work when the boss is away, as well as when he is home, and the man who, when given a letter for Garcia, quietly takes the missive, without asking any idiotic questions, and with no lurking intention of chucking it into the nearest sewer, or of doing aught else but deliver it, never gets laid off, nor has to go on strike for higher wages. Civilization is one long, anxious search for just such individuals. Anything such a man asks will be granted. His kind is so rare that no employer can afford to let him go. He is wanted in every city, every town, and every village, in every office, every shop, store, and factory. The world cries out for such. He is needed, and needed badly. The man who can carry a message to Garcia. I mentioned in the preamble that this piece, this message to Garcia, 
is something that I physically print out and hand to every new employee, typically before they join us or during their 90-day test drive. But it is an exercise that benefits us both. Not only do I want my team to know what qualities are most valuable and most rewarded by the marketplace, but which are simultaneously most valuable and most highly rewarded and compensated by me, their employer. But it pays me too, because every time I run a copy of this off the printer, I'm compelled to sit down and read it again and again and again. I want to be the man to get a message to Garcia. I want to be the person that when I'm tasked with something that makes very little sense, that I'm struggling to understand, whose outlines are not clearly drawn, whose risks are not clearly laid out, I am the one to be counted on. That's who I want to be. It's how I want to show up. It's what the world wants. And as Hubbard states so beautifully at the end of the piece, the world is crying out for a person that can get a message to Garcia. This person will never go hungry. They will never want for patients, clients, buyers, friends, family, or the respect of those that they admire. My friend, make sure, make sure that you wake up tomorrow knowing that you can get a message to Garcia. That's it for this episode. Thanks for being here. Hey, there's only two things that you have in your life, your time and your attention that you've given both to me for these few minutes of today means everything. Cheers.